Hello, I'm Renee San Miguel, and this is Science Matters, the podcast of the Georgia Tech College of Sciences. A massive 2011 earthquake in northern Japan spawned a tsunami that devastated coastlines across Southeast Asia. Here's what that sounded like above ground. Now listen to what it sounded like below ground. To Zhigong Peng, professor of geophysics in the School of Earth and Atmospheric Sciences, these earthquake sounds are music to his ears. Actually, Peng takes that seismic data and he turns it into music. Earthquake music. Peng, who's been at Georgia Tech since 2006, gets seismic data from sources such as the High Sensitivity Seismograph Network in Japan, the University of California at Berkeley's High Resolution Seismic Network, and the Incorporated Research Institutions for Seismology, sponsored by the National Science Foundation. He takes that data and sonifies it. That is, he assigns sounds to the data. Raw numbers in data can take on new meaning and provide new clues to researchers when they come alive via sound. For Peng, sonifying seismic data may get the Earth to give up more of its secrets. It may, with computers lending artificial intelligence and machine learning, help us know more about the causes of earthquakes and their physics. A desire to learn more about earthquakes is why Peng pivoted from a computer science track to geophysics when he started higher education in his native China. Because even with the great technological advances of the last few decades, including better, more sensitive seismic sensors, Peng says we still don't know a lot about what goes on under our feet. We can send uh, like uh, uh, satellites uh, uh, to the sky, we can you know, see divers, but the deepest Places we can go inside Earth is no more than like roughly at about 10 kilometers. There are a lot of things we don't know. And by the way, 10 kilometers, that's a little more than six miles deep into the Earth. Back here above the Earth's crust, Pung and I sat in his office to talk about his seismic data research, including his earthquake music project, for which he received funding in 2017 from the Creative Curricular Initiative of the Georgia Tech Council on the Arts. One of them sounded to me like giants throwing things at each other on the earth. <laughs> okay. It was just incredible to listen to. It's very right. hypnotic. Uh-huh. What what does earthquake music though teach you about earthquakes? There are several ways we can learn from it. Uh, if we can make a um, an energy to sound waves, uh, everybody have experience with sound, like, sure. you know. So in that case, you automatically convert something that is a um, little bit abstract and a little bit you know um, uh, complicated to something that people can relate to their daily life. Yeah. So. By doing this uh, uh, mapping or by doing this connection, we uh, can explain some phenomenon to people. It's sometimes even like uh, elementary st- uh, school students. Oh, great! They like it very much because mm-hmm. uh, um, they, uh, by listening to the sound of the seismic event, uh, they can quickly tell the difference between a compression wave with shear wave. Oh. They can tell the difference between a regular earthquake with a, a slow event or something different. Okay. So our human ear is actually very com- complicated and sophisticated. It can 
quickly tell the differences, sometimes even better than the eye. Yeah. So by adding this extra dimension of sense, we, um, we can use that as an effective tool to tell people about what are the differences yeah. and, and why it matters. Gotcha. Well, I have to ask you, though, on your website it says that these also help you understand the physics exactly. of seismic data. Yes. What, how, how, how do you mean? Yes, so um, I can give you an example. Um, so uh, one of the things uh, you can uh, hear or tell is that uh, if I play uh, regular earthquakes to you, mm -hmm. it sounds like um, either uh, uh, a uh, um, uh, fireworks or <laughs> something that is rapid fire. Yeah. So another way to uh, think about that is if I'm slapping my finger like yeah. this. Which, yeah, yeah, you did a better job. That's right. <laughs> um, so, the way to do it, you know, why related to earthquake is why I'm, I'm pressing the finger and mm -hmm. build up stress and eventually uh, slide. So what you hear this slap yeah. sound is basically the disturbance that travels through the air, okay. and that's how you hear. Okay, okay, so that's a regular earthquake. Yeah. Now on the other hand, if I, I do something slightly different, if I put my hands together and I rub against each other, so you hear something. Is not as clear yeah. as uh, the slapping finger, but mm -hmm. you can hear something, right? Now, in addition to that, another thing which we're doing right now is to try to um, follow what recently people have been doing in image and uh, voice recognition, you, artificial intelligence, okay. in deep learning. Mm -hmm. there, are, there are a lot of uh, new tools that's been developed over the past few years mm -hmm. and try to uh, use computer as a way to automatically uh, tell and distinguish between different type of, you know, images and different sound. If you have seen a lot of them, yeah. then the computer can automatically go and pick new events that almost can match and sometimes can outperform human uh, performance. Six years ago, Pung and his researchers made waves by suggesting that strong hurricanes could trigger earthquakes. That idea was based on the 2011 quake in Virginia, recorded shortly before Hurricane Irene slammed into the state. When the storm's eye reached the quake's epicenter, a higher rate of aftershocks than usual was recorded. Pung used pattern recognition techniques to separate quake-related seismic data from similar data caused by the storm. But publication of that study was delayed as questions came up about the single-case nature of the research. We had a hard time to publish the result because it was a little bit controversial. But the result did publish earlier this year, finally, mm -hmm. so after five or six years, we didn't manage to publish it. But the, the, the main observation is uh, in 2011, um, there uh, was a magnitude 5.7 earthquake in Virginia. Mm -hmm. So that event, even though it's not big, mm -hmm. but it was widely filled in eastern U.S., including here in Georgia. People mm -hmm. filled the event and actually cause, you know, say, what's going on? They, wow. they filled the event. So um, the, after, um, and two days after this earthquake, um, there was a Category 2 hurricane passed by, Hurricane mm -hmm. Irene, I believe. Um, mm -hmm. So um, it happened to be, the eye center happened to pass through the epicenter 
of this the eye meets the epicenter exactly yeah <laughs> so th- you, we don't get this quite often okay what we found out is that uh, as the eye center passed through the epicenter um, uh, the number of aftershocks especially the shallow ones the one that are very close to surface mm-hmm. increased by a factor of four during about two days wow. um, as the, uh, the uh, hurricane uh, center passed through okay. um, so our hypothesis is that um, we suspect that you know, because of the low pressure uh, systems of the of the eye center, yeah. that um, it effectively unclamped the fault. Take you know? little of the weight Take off. off uh, yeah, you could potentially help to make more event. Wow. So that that was the hypothesis. But again, um, the reason why we had uh, you know a hard time published is because uh, uh, people came back and you know the reviewers came back and say you know yeah it, uh, it seems reasonable but. It's only one case study. Can yeah. you tell us uh, how often it is happening, and, okay. and and is this could this be explained by by random chance, right? So that's the question that we were trying to face, and uh, so we did actually look at a few other cases. But unfortunately, you know, if you want to have this sort of perfect condition, we don't get quite often. Yeah. So, so we cannot come up with let's say a, another example or another set that match with this sort of uh, what observation we have got. An earthquake in the area and then a hurricane moving right. through that exact same area. Exactly. Okay. Now um uh we because of this study and also um uh, recently we, we started another collaboration with a a, a group in Florida International University. Mm-hmm. We actually managed to get a funding from NASA to support this research. Oh, okay. So right now uh, uh so rather than focusing on uh, eastern US because we don't get many earthquakes, right? That's yeah. the problem. We are uh, our uh, new study area is is Taiwan in East Asia mm-hmm. because over there um they got lots of earthquake. Mm-hmm. And they also got none of uh, so-called typhoon, which typhoon, is yeah. yeah. So um, and our so our uh, uh, focus there is to understand the relationship between um, typhoon, ex- ex- especially extreme wet typhoon, mm-hmm. and th- those typhoon that will bring another rainfall. Yeah. And, uh, and what, of course, when you have rainfall, you're going to trigger another landslide, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, when you have landslide, you are uh, basically dump uh, and slide out of. Um, sediments into the river and the river will carry them away oh. and so we're trying to understand whether or not there is a correlation or relationship between extreme wet typhoon landslide and subsequent earthquake or subsequent you know uh, seismic event tell me where right. are we at in 2018 with yeah. with seismic research so um i think we're pretty clear now that what is the force, you know, what's the driving force uh, behind it, you know, we also mostly know where earthquake would occur, but they mostly occur along the so-called plate boundary, that's where, you know, the tectonic plate are moving right into each other, so mm-hmm. that's where the stress is built up the most. Now, what we don't know is, A, um, uh, some outliers, like, for example, uh, we uh, sometimes uh, uh, in central and eastern U.S. we get earthquakes, mm-hmm. right? We we don't get too many, but sometimes it caught people by surprise. Mm-hmm. Where are the force come from? In addition, um, we not only have earthquakes uh, occur uh, in the crust, which is you know the brittle considered as a brittle part of the yeah. earth. We also have earthquake um, occur at a few hundred kilometers at depths. Mm. Um, so the deepest one is up to about seven hundred kilometers. So 
you can imagine, you know, at such, uh, you know, uh, larger depths, mm-hmm. there's high temperature and pressure. So the rock there is probably gonna not gonna behave, behave brittle. It's probably more ductile, like flow. Just a few weeks ago, there uh, was a magnitude 8.2 earthquake in Tonga, which mm-hmm. is in southern Pacific, mm-hmm. and the the high the high depth there is about 600 kilometers. And a few days later. Uh, 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 there was a, another magnitude 7.9 earthquake occurred not far from that uh, uh, epicenter. Okay. So there are a lot of things going on right now at that depth uh, in that region. Uh, you know, why? what's going on there? Uh, uh, we, we, we wanted to better understand what's going on so mm-hmm. that we can, of course, explain what, what's the underlying physics behind that. Gotcha. So that's something we don't know. Another question is uh, we don't know uh, what else can cause can trigger or delay the occurrence of earthquake. Hmm. We know that you know in the driving force is bit tectonics. Sure. We know that those things um, build up slowly uh, in time. Yeah. And uh, but we don't know what is the nostril that broke the camera's back. When it breaks. When, it's, when, when the when, breaks. when the stress gives way and exactly. you, something has to happen. Right. And in addition to that, one thing we do know is that when you are close to that threshold, any perturbation could tip it over. Oh. So in that case, uh, it could happen this year, it could happen 10 years later. Uh, it just depends on what the perturbation, the last uh, part of the perturbation matters a lot. And that's actually one of the uh, research uh, we're, we're studying here. Let's take a quick detour back to Pung's research in the difference between regular earthquakes and what he calls slow quakes, which are mostly harmless and hard to detect. Understanding the slow quakes better may point to more information about the physics of earthquakes and whether seismologists will eventually be able to predict them. They are very similar. They, both of them occur along some fault lines and both of them associate with sliding. Mm-hmm. The only difference, of course, is one slide very fast, yeah. so you can generate uh, significant, you know, significant shaking and, and damages. Now, on the other hand, slower earthquakes, because they slide so slowly that most time people didn't feel them. Yeah. Um, Okay. Okay. So they are harmless in some way, and people may ask, you know, like, why do you study? Why? Why are they important? Yeah. If they're like causing trouble, why do we study them? Yeah. Right. Some of us, uh, including myself, believe that um, before some uh, large earthquake, that there are slow steep that precede them. Uh, we believe that someday, by carefully monitoring those uh, slow steep event, we may hopefully um, uh, come to a, the the time that we can use them to tell when and where big earthquake what happened. Okay, so it so, help you with predictions, maybe. Yes. Okay. Yeah, even though, you know, when we talk, when you talk to seismologists, we normally don't like to use the, I, I know. Yeah, the, the prediction. Nobody theory. wants to talk about predictions. Right, but I that. think that, you know, if you talk to any other people, the first question people always ask yeah. is, yeah, when, when can you tell me when the next one is going to happen, sure. right? That's where people care the most. So I think we, we shouldn't Ignore, and we shouldn't present, you know, or we shouldn't say that, you know, that something we never uh, will ever do achieve. I think that with new technology, new observations, and uh, um, uh, if you put everything together, we, I think we have a pretty good chance. In case you're wondering, Pung has experienced earthquakes several times in his life, both as a child growing up in China and as an adult researcher. Also, thanks to his sonification of seismic sounds and his other research, he's come full circle in his academic life. Pung finally gets to play with computer science, even as he studies the forces that make the Earth move. 
My thanks to Zhigong Peng, professor in the School of Earth and Atmospheric Sciences. Cyan Zhou, formerly a research associate in the School of Psychology, composed our theme music. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to our podcast from Apple Podcasts or SoundCloud. This is Science Matters, the podcast of the Georgia Tech College of Sciences. I'm Renee San Miguel. Thank you for listening.